Welcome to the Arbor Vitae podcast, promoting virtue in woodworking. I'm one of your co-hosts, Adam Taylor, and today uh, I am here with Corey Morgan of Corey Morgan Woodworks. Um, thank you for joining us, Corey. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is, this is great. Quite yeah. an honor. Oh, great. Yeah, well, well, same here. We're very happy to have you here. Um, for uh, all of our listeners, um, you hopefully already know this, but Corey was the featured craftsman for episode seven, which we just recorded and released last week. Um, so he very graciously agreed to give us a little interview and tell us about himself. And, um, you know, we think hopefully it'll be edifying. Um, <laughs> no pressure. That's the hope. <laughs> no pressure. Yep. <laughs> So, um, so Corey, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background in woodworking, your family, you know, anything you might want to tell us about yeah, yourself. Yeah, sure. Um, how far back do you want me to go? <laughs> <laughs> well, any biographical um, details and then just sort of woodworking. Um, so I guess the first thing, I do not come from like a woodworking family of any kind. Um, my dad was in the military. Okay. Um, so spent the first half of my life moving all over the country. So I've kind of pride myself on the fact that I've been in almost all 50 states except for two. Wow. I just need to make, I just need to make it to Alaska and I think North Dakota. And then I'll have at least driven through them all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so that was kind of a fun, exciting childhood going all over the place. Um, and then my dad got out of the military and we continued to move around basically every year or so. Um, we did some missionary work for a while as a family. Um, so went over to Belarus for a month in the wow. middle of January, oh, <laughs> which okay. was very cold. That's all I remember. I was about 10 then. And I just remember <laughs> being freezing and being hungry all the time. <laughs> um, then we ended up in the end after all our moving around, uh, in Virginia, in Front Royal, Virginia, okay. which is kind of a Catholic little hub there. You got, you know, Human Life International, Seton Home Study, Christendom College, all these kind of things going on in the same town. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of why we moved there. Um, and so then I ended up going to Christendom College. Um, that's where I ended up attending school and majored in philosophy, which was, I loved it. That was, you know, great four years there that's where i met my wife awesome um and so my wife is probably you know one of the biggest biggest factors in me getting into this in some ways um you know people often once they hear about my story like wow man you married into the right family (laughs) yeah no i I could not have planned this any better if i tried because my wife's family they they own a small lumber business up here in pennsylvania oh that's fantastic Um, it is fantastic. I had no idea about any of that when we got married. And again, I had no interest in, in any of this. Um, and it was probably, uh, it was the summer before senior year. It was maybe the first time that I ever kind of got a little bit of a bug. I, I was doing construction over the summer and I was working on this house and a friend of mine was there who did some woodworking stuff. And I saw him do this uh, built-in bookshelf, all in walnut. Okay. And I remember watching him one day and just, you know, turned out gorgeous and kind of got to see him, you know, bring these rough boards in and then turn it into this awesome thing. 
And I remember kind of filing that away of like, huh, that's pretty cool. That that could be an awesome way to spend your time, huh? And then I kind of forgot about it from there. Um, <laughs> and went back to school and then got engaged. And suddenly the oncoming pressure of like getting married. It's like, oh, what am I going to do with my life? And for for like a month or so, I was like, you know what I'll do? I'll, I'm going to go to school for woodworking. I remember seeing and kind of it's you know kind of came back to me then. Um, but then the practicality of that quickly. <laughs> It's like, well, how are you? No, you're about to get married. You need to go make a living, not go back to school. Right. Um, so after that, I uh, did some electrical work right out of school for about a year and a half. Um, and then during that time, I kind of got bit with this bug of, it's been kind of part of my, my journey, I'd say, um, of, you know, doing work that I was doing work with my hands which I did like, but because I had gone to college, I kind of had this idea that, oh, well, I should probably do something more intellectual or more, you know, not, not low down work. I need to do something with sure. this degree that I have. Yeah. And so not that it was like a huge step in any direction that way, but I decided, you know, went back to work for the church. So I did some youth ministry for two years okay. in a parish down in uh, Virginia, which I was a great experience, learned a lot. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me was in those two years, just kind of coming to terms with the fact that, you know, we had also had uh, our first kid, uh, our daughter, Sophia. And so kind of coming to this new role of like dad, husband, in the end, I realized, you know, I just, I really want to go to work and want to do something with my hands, something physical. Yeah. Like I'm just having, uh, even though it might be good when I'm out here paintballing with all these high schoolers, I'm having a hard time. <laughs> fitting this in with my mental image of St. Joseph and sure. something about that. I mean, you know, that doesn't mean anything against any guys that do youth ministry the rest of their life. You know, that's a great thing to do too. Um, but just for me personally, it was kind of this coming to terms with, you know, I think I'm going to be happiest if I never pick up another book the rest of my life, never do anything <laughs> intellectual, anything that is highly regarded. I think I could be just happy being digging ditches the rest of my life if it provided enough money to feed my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and right about the same time I was thinking about all this, we found out we were having twins. Wow. <laughs> so suddenly, like, everything just kind of kicked into high gear. Like, okay, man, I got to get serious about my life here. You know, what, where <laughs> am I going? What am I doing? Um, so then we decided, well, we could move back to where my wife was, was from and just get involved with the lumber business see if you know if that had any interest and in that at that time kind of the furniture thing came back into mind of, well maybe i could start doing some stuff on the side and see if that goes anywhere um so after talking about that and discussing a lot um kind of made that painful decision to move from front royal because right i mean front royal I had all my friends my family's down there so we definitely were leaving a lot sure um but in the end it's kind of uh one of those moves that thank God I did because look what happened after that. Um, right. So moved up here and started working at the mill right away. Um, and down there, I was just making boards and making stair treads, really nothing glamorous, simple, okay. simple stuff. Um, well, see, that sounds like fun to it, me. It, I mean, <laughs> it, I did enjoy it and that's the thing. I, and I still look back on that really fondly. And it's one of those things that's really hard to explain. And two people, like friends, would come out to visit, and I take them down to the mill, and it's just kind of this dingy old industrial <laughs> building. 
but I, I still have this soft spot in my heart for it. Every time I drive down there, this was my home for like four years. Yeah. I worked and lived down here and this is where I got my crash course in wood. And I guess that's for me, probably what part of the attachment is, is I showed up there and I remember literally the first day I was working with my father-in-law and pushing some carts of wood around and I was like, so how do you tell, what kind of wood is this? He's like, oh, that's maple. Like, okay, what, what kind of wood is this? He's like, oh, that's red oak. Like, wow, how do you tell the difference? And now looking back, <laughs> oh, wow, you've come a long way. Sure. <laughs> you've come a long way, but, um, you know, that was the starting point. And so then it was just day in and day out working with all those species. And really, I think what was good about the simplicity of the kind of woodworking I was doing, which you know, was just making boards, was it really got me to, you know, be able to analyze the different characteristics of each species. So, you know, okay. the way it's, you know, the way it feels, the way it smells, the way it, everything about it kind of became second nature, um, just because you're doing so much volume in that setting. Right. Um, and so that was great. And then, you know, after a year or two doing that, um, I started building some tables and stuff on the side and also did like about six months apprenticeship with this uh, crazy Romanian guy, uh, Bill Lazar. And, wow. And that's kind of where I got my first taste into what I would call true, you know, woodworking. Um, and yeah, sorry, I blabbered on here now. But anyway, so long story short, I just kind of kept building things and uh, kind of building things for the lumber companies. You're kind of almost running like a custom shop for them in a sense. Um, okay. You know, people would come with these random orders for a table and I would be the guy that would make it. But it really wasn't an official thing. And then I had to talk to my father-in-law, um, you know, it's kind of like, well, you know, as long as you can keep yourself busy, anytime you get one of these orders, you know, you can do that over anything else you have to do, any of your other responsibilities that can take precedence. And like, oh, okay. Okay. Well, that's huge motivation then to make this become my full-time thing. Um, so basically then spent the next few years kind of getting online, um, trying to put my work out there. Uh, also started showing up to work, you know, around four in the morning so that I could get enough time to actually do both jobs, basically. Gotcha. Um, and that lasted for a while of the kind of burning the candle on both ends. Um, and then about two years ago, it, finally, I got busy enough that basically it made sense to just kind of break off and do set up my own business doing this. Okay. Um, so but now I operate, though, out of the, you know, I rent shop space from the family and so very closely related, and that definitely is sort of my unfair advantage, I guess you'd call it, of having access to just some of the most incredible lumber. And, you know, obviously I buy it off them and pay, pay them for it, but sure. it's there. You know, I don't have to go <laughs> looking very far for it. Yeah, that's... And I know that's wow. that's a huge thing for a lot of people. Like, the, the looking for lumber is half the time you spend sometimes. Right. Um, so, believe me, it's right next door. <laughs> that's incredible. So, um, how has woodworking been a journey for you? Um, and what higher purpose does your woodworking serve? So a journey for me, um, I guess the higher purpose, that would be an easier way for me to start. It would, you know, the higher purpose for me is that this is the way that I feed my family now. Okay. Um, so woodworking is, you know, is not a not a hobby. Um, I mean, quite frankly, it's, that's one thing that's for me, that's a strange experience is that 
I've never done this as a hobby. Okay. <laughs> so I kind of wonder what that's like. In some ways, like anytime I've ever done this, it basically was for something, you know, for somebody. Wow. Um, or, you know, we built a house once we got up here and I did a lot of most of the work on the inside. Okay. And that was also a big crash course of for me. Of, like I used my <laughs> house as a way to teach myself. Um, but never had the experience of just like, oh, I feel like making this thing because it would be enjoyable and fun. And I was just reflecting on that the other day. I'm like, huh, that would be kind of nice. <laughs> I, I should get around to doing that eventually. Um, but it's one of those classic things. By the time you do woodworking all day, you don't really feel like doing any of it by the time you get home. Right. And exactly. I, I do enjoy it, but it's like the, you just want to come home and do something else. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the main higher purpose is it's, this is all about trying to make this something viable for my family. Um and so that comes with a huge weight <laughs> sure. for sure and affects kind of, you know, everything that I do, literally the the type of woodworking that I'll, that I'll do that, you know, so there might be other areas and avenues that I would love to explore um, that are just never going to happen because they're just not financially, you know, they're not going to make any money. And okay. so I guess that's, for me, that's what's sort of a, a difference is that money is always there on the table in some way it, kind of influencing my my woodworking and my approach sure of, and it has to because of that purpose of this is about family not about me not about really my interests necessarily it is about making sure that at the end of the day i've paid the bills um which i think is good though because it helps keep things focused um definitely one of the things that we talked about very early on, in fact, I think it was our first episode, is um, is purpose and prudence and how knowing mm-hmm. your purpose as a woodworker, um, whether that is a hobbyist or as a professional, is going to allow you to be prudent. And I think you hit the nail on the head there when you said, you know, it's, it's good that your family comes first. It's good that every decision you make has to be based on money because that's that's the primary purpose of your woodworking. It's to bring in income for your family. And I think, you know, the decisions you would make are prudent for you in a way that they would not be prudent for someone who is coming at woodworking with a different purpose. Right. Yep. I mean, and that it completely colors the whole thing and in a good way, I think, but it's definitely different. Um, and, um, yeah, anyway, I, I mean, I hate to, say that money is a part of it all because that makes it sound really sad but <laughs> uh but i mean for the way that i mean it, it's just that that doesn't mean that i don't you know take on projects that are going to be highly creative and know that i won't make much of it it's like basically just that that's kind of always there present so like i've I'm, you might see on instagram recently it's like you know i'm doing another set of chairs mm-hmm. chairs to me you never make any money off them they're they're basically okay. a chance to push you at least at this point i'm not because of how much time they take um mm-hmm. you know they're a huge investment time but they are so like i think push you the most as far as skills go and there is something to there's another way i can look at it is like well i am trying to do this as a living i'm trying to make myself a name as a woodworker so anything i can do occasionally that's purely an investment in my skills eh, there's a way in which that financially makes sense too that's and true. so that's kind of, for me, I try to do that every once in a while, you know, do a bunch of projects that are purely the bill paying. And then every once in a while I'll slip in one that's, you know, I won't make that much off this, but it's still, it's, it's going to help me progress. And that's overall an investment in this whole thing that I'm doing. Sure. Um, 
So that's just a, there is a different way and it's not always just about making money. It's just that money's always there in some way, tainting that conversation a little bit. Definitely. Um, but I try to use that still, you know, to be creative and explore new avenues and have some fun too. So, yeah. Um, as, you know, as far as woodworking being a journey, these past couple of years have definitely been huge period of growth, you know, and, and on all, all different levels, spiritually um, and just maturing wise, I think for me, and it's kind of happened. It's one of those things like what I say is because of woodworking, I don't know, but it's happened at the same time that I've gotten involved in this craft. So I do think there's something coming from that. Um, and overall, you know, if I had to summarize what I think has kind of gone on these past couple of years for me, it's, you know, becoming a, just a much more grounded person. And that's the kind of thing like, yeah, that's what woodworking definitely helps. I think, you know, if there was anything, I think what, why everyone should do a little bit of woodworking, it's that it grounds you in a reality like nothing else. <laughs> you know, there's no, the wood is what it is. Mm-hmm. And your skills are what they are or are not. <laughs> and then you try to have those two worlds meet. And sometimes it's a beautiful thing. Sometimes it's not. And then you have to learn and adapt. And I think there's something that's really good for us humans that, you know, especially in the world we live in now with technology, just the way that everything works. There's just, it's, we don't often live in straight up hard, cold reality anymore. That's true. We're often removed from it. Um, so there's something about that, you know, it's just uh, this kind of this grounding that's happened and moving up here in the middle of nowhere in the country. It's a very slow, quiet life, a little bit contemplative. Mm-hmm. And all that has kind of happened with the, the growth in the woodwork. Um, and then at the same time, once it turned into a business, suddenly my life completely changed into now having to manage all these other aspects that go into making a business work. Sure. And so that was a real period of personal growth of suddenly I need to become a salesman. Suddenly I need to become a this and that. All these things that I knew that I'm not any good at that. (laughs) And suddenly, well, oh, oh, well, Corey, you have to be good at it or you're going to fail. And so it's basically, you know, I spent two years of like basically developing these other aspects of myself that have been great. And, you know, now, lo and behold, I actually love business. That's something that I never had any interest in, you know, college. Wow. uh, now it's like I actually like that aspect equally as much as the woodworking in some ways, which has been great. Um, so I, I'm not sure if that's quite an answer to your question or not. But oh, definitely. Some, some thoughts on it anyway. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to episode seven yet because we just released it last week. But, um, you know, growth growth is one of the things that we talked about, you know, um, and learning to, learning to use skills and to – in a way we're we're sort of <laughs> we we tried to avoid saying that we're tools ourselves just because of the negative connotation of the word but we're we're instruments you know and so in the same way that you would learn to use say a saw or a chisel or a hand plane um you know and it, there is skill involved in that there's also some some qualities of the tool that 
itself that are important. You know, the tool needs to be sharp. The tool needs to be not rusty or, you know, otherwise in good working order. And so for ourselves in our lives, as we grow in virtue and we grow in faith, we need to make sure that we are instruments that are able to be used in the hands of the master craftsman. And, you know, doing so will then help us to grow in virtue and, you know, be able to use the tools that we use, one of which is our woodworking, to do good things, to do to do things beyond, you know, creating a piece of furniture or, or you know, whatever it is we're building. Um, right. So in a more broader sense, and feel free to take this however you like it, um, how does virtue play a part in your work? That's, you know, so that's something I've been thinking about before, before we did this interview. And um, I know this is just coming at it from a different way. I don't know you guys have said it probably in, in all these podcasts. Um, I guess I see a little less of like, how does virtue play into my woodworking and sort of the other way around of woodworking and how that plays into my overall life in development and virtue. Okay. Yeah, definitely. That's an interesting perspective. Um, and I think that might even be coming from my situation of where's this, you know, this isn't something I do extra in my life. It's like, this is the thing I do for the sake of other things. Sure. And so in some ways it's like, this thing has to be done, you know, in a certain way just to be successful as a business. And right off the bat there, then there are certain things that kind of line right up with doing, you know, some of the things you guys have been talking about is being virtuous in the shop. It's like, yeah, those are also just good business practices. (laughs) And so in a sense, it's like, it almost comes not naturally. I mean, I still have to definitely work at all those things that you guys have discussed, but there's a sense. in for me, it's like, I see this, what I'm, doing in there as really training me mind and body in ways that are hopefully going to then take effect outside the shop um and i don't know if you've uh, heard of the book uh shop craft is soul craft no if not i think you really like it okay um, it's it's just an interesting reflection it's this uh this guy that basically uh went to school for philosophy and ended up working in like a Washington think tank and got really dissatisfied with that. And basically kind of had a similar experience. Like, you know, I just want to go back to work for my hand with my hands. Mm-hmm. So he sets up this motorcycle mechanic shop and basically then writes this book. So it's kind of an interesting uh, combination of like, all right, this guy's practical hands-on experience, but also has the intellectual background. So it has some really interesting arguments to make. And basically just makes this case for why like craft work and just trade work in general is good for the human soul. Because yeah. these things, you know, you know, are, we are, we are not just minds, you know, we're mind body composite. Mm-hmm. And so the things we do with our bodies affect how we think and vice versa. Um, and so to me, that kind of play, and he makes a case too, there is a certain virtue that dealing with real things trains you in um, just because again, it, there's no making up, uh, no making up goodness or levels of good you know, when you, when you do a job, it's like it either is or it isn't. There's, there's hard standards. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that can kind of come then carry over into your life of, uh, you know, in the areas where we might want the standards to be a little looser. Right. <laughs> it's like, well, no, there still are standards, you know, just as there is a good tool and a properly sharp tool, there's such a thing as a good human. What's, what's a good man, you know, what does that look like? How am I striving towards that? Mm-hmm. Um, so again, I, I think it's it's 
whether you call it virtue in the shop or out for me again i guess i tend to think of it the other way is how how is what i'm doing every day affecting things outside mm-hmm. um so that's 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 my thought on it. oh that yeah that's awesome that's awesome and um i will definitely check out that book because one of the things that um <clears throat> that jonathan and i have been wanting to do in an episode um father thomas bailey actually brought it up with us and he said hey have you guys ever done an episode on the dignity of work and uh-huh. i said you know no uh but but we will. Um, that's a great right. topic. And, you know, it's just like you said, I think there's there's a lot of tendency nowadays to kind of write off the trades and any kind mm-hmm. of skilled labor and say, oh, well, no, we need to be funneling everyone into college and then they need to, you know, get desks jobs or whatever. But um, there are two things wrong with that. One is that to say that you can't go to college if you're going to do skilled trades, because especially you know, now as technology increases and people specialize in different things, there's a lot of opportunity for people who still want to do the trades, whether it's woodworking or, or electricity or plumbing or construction or whatever, um, building science, there's all kinds of stuff. But also because, you know, as, as you came to find out, like there's nothing wrong with just working with your hands. It's not right. anti-intellectual. It's not, um, you know, beneath anyone's dignity. And in fact, there's there's an innate dignity to working with our hands. And I think, you know, exactly as you said, um, it like it, it kind of puts us in touch with with that part of ourselves and and. Um, well, and I think there's, and this is what kind of this book makes the case for that there can often be, even be the sense that it's um, sometimes it's the manual, like the things that he's found doing manual work is sometimes far more intellectually challenging, engaging than things that are supposedly reserved to the, you know, knowledge workers, basically is what he calls them. And, okay. And, you know, I don't know if that's the case because I've never really done, <laughs> you know, done anything other than. Constructual youth ministry was a different thing, but yeah, <laughs> um, but I have definitely found basically, basically he challenges this notion of why is it that we even hold it as sort of somehow lower? Like you even have to say, you know, no, it's okay if you just want to do the trades. Like why do we view it that way mm-hmm. as somehow a little bit less than well other things <laughs> that you could do that would be if you were really smart you would do those. And it's, it seems like we kind of want to say, well, it's only okay to do that if you kind of like that sort of work. But it's, it's there's still, we kind of seem to have the stigma of like, but it's not really for intelligent people. Yeah, it's almost Gnostic, you know, like yeah. like the, the mind, the soul is good and the body is bad and the world, you know, the yeah. material world and is bad. And I've just found such the opposite to be the case of like, yeah, I mean, I'm constantly every day incredibly challenged mm-hmm. by these physical things. And that's a strange experience, I guess, to be these strictly physical things, they are what they are, but every day they still manage to show a new thing that I haven't been prepared for. Mm-hmm. And so it just seems to be never ending. And I love that fact. Sure. Um, and there's something that too, when I was down at the mill that I would notice that there's a couple, there's one guy in particular that kind of does all, he's kind of their machinist for the mill. The guy is just brilliant. I mean, he's like just good at everything craft. And he's an awesome electrician, awesome machinist, awesome plumber. He can do anything. He can fix anything. Um, and his attentiveness to things is just really intense. And it's one of those things I remember anytime I've seen him, like that's a quality that I would like to have and carry over in my life. And I think that only comes about by being constantly ingrained in these physical concrete things. 
-hmm. this attentiveness then turns into attentiveness to people when he's talking to you. There's just this attention. And it's like, that is a virtue of of its own sort. Sure. And one that especially in our technology saturated world, we all definitely tend not to have (laughs) attention and attentiveness to something. That's that's hard to come by. so that's just one example of, I think, a lot of virtues that are kind of there inherent in the crafts that you really dive into it. Mm-hmm. So, um. Yeah, uh, we and we, you know, to change gears a little bit, <clears throat> we mentioned this briefly earlier, but, um, you know, obviously when we do this podcast, we're coming at it from the point of view of hobbyists because both Jonathan and I you know, this is not our main source of income and we have both sold things on the side, but it's purely secondary. Um, have you noticed any areas uh, where things that we're talking about would apply differently to someone who does woodworking professionally as opposed to someone who just does it as a hobby? Um, I think about every episode, I usually have like one thing that I think, ah, oh, that's a little bit of a different take. <laughs> but then sometimes it's just like, well, that's just such obvious thing. So, you know, um, you know, like the, I think it was the first, I think one of the first ones on the practice, practice in the shop and practicing things, mm-hmm. um, you know, for, and this is something actually though, I think a lot of different craftsmen take a different approach and mine might not be the best one. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't really have much time to practice things. And so basically it's like when I get a new order for something and I decide to throw into the design something new that I've never tried, I kind of do that intentionally and sort of like, like well, this is my practice on this person's order. Okay. And I think you might have specifically mentioned mentioned in that episode of like, that's probably not a good idea to do that. And plenty of craftsmen would agree with you guys that do this professionally, like never do something for the first time on a customer. And I'm, uh, I disagree. I'm like, I would never do anything new if I didn't because I'm – again, a trying to make a living and too busy that I would just always be doing the same thing. Sure. So, I mean, I do that with a caveat of like, if it turns out like junk, <laughs> I obviously would either redo it or not do it or give it to them. Sure. But sure. It's, that's, there's plenty of times where I'm sort of sweating bullets on the, on the like, well, this better work out because <laughs> this is, I told them I was going to do this, but I mean, I, that's really helped progress things for me. Of that added pressure has been great. Mm-hmm. Um, Another area, I, I think when you guys talked about the social media, was a big one um, for me that, you know, I think it's great to share failures and that kind of thing. But for me, it's just like, ah, it's not really practical. And sure. I definitely thought about it. I was like, well, is that just me being prideful of, you know, and I, I mean, that's still something I should reflect on. But overall, for me, it was like, well, I've told all my customers, basically, once once we kind of get in the ball rolling and get a project going, there's usually a big lag time because um, I'm working on other stuff. And I tell them that. I'm like, all right, it's going to be probably a couple weeks before I get started on your thing. Um, but if in the meantime, you just want to follow me on Instagram or Facebook, um, you can do that. And you'll kind of see when your project starts getting rolled in. Okay. So I'm basically communicating with customers through both those. Um, so most of my posts are actually, they're kind of trying to kill two birds, one stone. You know, share everything with everybody else. I mean, the woodworking community, that was something completely, I had no idea that existed on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And it's been really great to find that. Um, but primarily it started as, ah, oh, this might be a way for me to do a little bit of marketing and communicate with customers a little more easy. Sure. And so I have to basically always be conscious of like, they're watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so though it might be true, like I just said, I experiment on new things on customer orders. 
Uh, I also mess up a lot too, but <laughs> I definitely don't want to say, Hey, look what I just did to your table. Right. It's like, I managed to fix the things and figure out how to make them work. But I guess the broadcasting, it might just start them, them feeling a little nervous. Um, yeah, so I... that's for me. That's just one, one thing that's a little bit different. <laughs> I can totally understand that. And you know, I, I can't remember whether we brought that up in the episode or not, but that that just seems i mean it it's like a no brainer like of course if you have customers watching and following along you know you don't necessarily want to broadcast your mistakes because once you point out a mistake it, it then they're be- looking for it. Yeah, they'll be looking for it. Whereas you could not say anything to a customer who's not a woodworker and they just won't see it ever, you know. Um right. and yeah. so i i think that's that's perfectly legitimate, <laughs> you know. But, you know, I mean, I, I can't deny it. It's like the there is just such an active woodworking community on Instagram. I kind of wish in some ways that I hadn't told my customers I was on there. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> I mean, because in some ways it's like now it's become this whole different thing of like, it's just really great to see what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. You know, get some feedback from people that are doing the same thing. You know, the one thing I found is just like some really great younger guys that in the same situation as me, you know, a couple kids trying to make this thing work professionally. Um and just kind of seeing their daily struggles, but it would be nice to be able to share some of those, you know, hair pulling out moments of like, Oh man, I cannot believe I just did this. <laughs> but instead you just kind of keep those to yourself. And so it does sometimes feel a little dishonest. I guess I think you guys brought that up. It's like, you know, it does. I mean, like all you ever do is kind of show your triumphs and good things. And I'm like, man, every single day behind the scenes, there is something that went wrong. Right. And right. Just, and it's like, well, you just don't really get to hear about that. I guess. <laughs> Maybe you need to create a like a separate <laughs> a persona. Separate. Yeah, yeah. Like not even just a different channel because people will find you if you advertise it as Corey Morgan. But like, like you know, get get an, another name, you know, and and just right. just broadcast your mistakes and be like, you know, just, that's that's a good idea. We don't have to think about that. <laughs> no, no. Um, so speaking of other people who who are in a similar situation to you, do you have any advice for anyone who may be a hobbyist and wants to kind of break into the professional world? I mean, I know everyone's story is going to be different and different markets in different areas of the country and stuff, but just even any general advice? Uh, yeah. Um, that's, that's a big one. <laughs> Again, yeah, no pressure. Like, like you said, for me... <laughs> For me, I, I, anytime people ask me, so how did you get into this? I'm like, uh, sort of by accident. Mm-hmm. And I'm so happy that I did. And again, and then I look at my wife and I'm like, man, I could not have planned this better. <laughs> Thank God I met you. <laughs> but no, it's like, and it's just been such a, her family is so wonderful. Everything, I mean, it has just been a great experience. Um, but that's not going to happen for everybody. Um, but there are a couple of things that I guess, you know, um, the one thing you got to get online. I mean, that's the one, there are a couple of great selling avenues Etsy, custommade.com. Okay. Um, those are two that are, are pretty good. Um, and just to get pictures up there of your stuff. Um, cause then they start showing up in Google searches. So even okay. if people aren't actually on those sites, um, what I've gotten a lot of business from is just that I'm always putting pictures up online on one of those sites and my own website between those three, what I found is people are often, which is what I, this is what I do too. They search through Google images. So, okay. you know, they're looking for something specific. They're not going on these websites and trying to, they're just, they go into Google, go to the images, search dining tables, and then they're just look, scrolling through pictures. Wow. And so over time now, if I search for live edge dining table, 
yeah, there's a couple of pictures on, you know, as you scroll down, there's a bunch of pictures of my stuff up there. That's just awesome. kind of from throwing it out there. Um, so that's one thing. I think just kind of flood the internet with your stuff because the internet opens up, you know, a whole big market. Okay. Um, much easier than just trying to do the local thing. Um, for me, another, I don't know, and this might just be personal, but I'm terrible at selling things that I've already made. Okay. Um, so I know that I've seen a lot of different stuff on Instagram of people like having some real problems with the custom order thing of you know, taking a custom order from start to finish and just getting really burned on that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I can definitely see how that happens and it has happened to me a couple of times, but overall that's what, what all my work is, is just custom. This thing is being made for this person um, because anything like the couple pieces I have sitting around, are the few things I have made on spec at random times. It's like, oh, I should try to make something extra and sell it while I'm making this other thing. <laughs> sure. And now it's been sitting collecting dust for three years. Oh, no. And I don't know. And people always think it's beautiful, but there's just something about, I think, the reality is custom furniture is really expensive. Yes. You know, for the amount of time that we are going to invest in it, it's always going to be infinitely more expensive than they can get anywhere else. And the moment I think they can see it physically, uh, then it's instantly being compared price-wise, I think, with other things they've seen. Whereas there's something about the custom thing from like them being a part of it from start to finish. Part of what attracted them was you and the right. discussion with you. There's something about that, I think, that builds a whole story into it that just kind of gets packaged in its own separate category of, you know, yes, this is just a table, but this is a table that we, we got to pick out the wood on, mm-hmm. you know, we got to, this is, has a whole story. This was made by this guy. Like, right. We know the craft. I think there's something, there something more emotionally, uh, emotional about that, that, um, you know, justifies the higher price that you definitely need to charge to make it worth sure. your time. Um, so that's one thing I just, a lot of people I think get scared off from the custom thing and then go to craft shows with their bunch of stuff and try to sell it. And I don't know how they, like, I can't do that. Right. <laughs> I, right. I, and I hear people struggle with that and then look at me like, how do you do it? I'm like, uh, well, not by doing that. I, I'm not sure how <laughs> craft shows work for anybody. Um, so that's, that's one thing. Um, uh, any other advice I guess would just be to, just get started. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, you can read lots of stuff. You can listen to watch lots of videos, but I mean, I think you guys know the best learning really just happens in the shop, right? You know, getting the boards out and just start doing something. That's where you really learn. Um, and, um, I guess last thing would be just can't be afraid to work here, but off. <laughs> yeah, that's um, true. That's it's you know, and I sometimes look. I sometimes forget about the period of time where I really was kind of getting this off the ground, um, and I worked a lot of hours then, <laughs> except for really at work late. And I kind of put that out of my mind. I still work a lot. I mean, it's still you know, you're looking at sixty, seventy hour weeks easily if you're trying to do this as your full time thing. Okay. And so I think that's something to have in mind. Of it can work. I've got five kids, and I'm making it work, but it takes a lot of extra effort. It's not, it's not a 40 hour week job. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, and so I think you have to balance and think about that before you would really, you know, the dream you might have of how, what this looks like might look a little different in reality. <laughs> you got to really like it. And I think that's for me, been a test of like, I do really love this because I'm willing to put this much effort into it mm-hmm. and not really have it phase me at all. 
Definitely. So, um, so I think that's a couple things anyway. Yeah, no, that's I'm sure that's a lot to chew on, you know. And um, <laughs> the more the more advice like that we can throw out into the community because it's it's the quintessential you know woodworkers dilemma is is you know i think everyone who gets bitten by the woodworking bug at some point if they start out as a hobbyist they want they at least daydream about going pro and right. you know as as much as this advice is great for people who are actually going to make that jump it's also really good to put it in perspective and maybe uh, you know allow people to to find out the easy way that, oh, maybe this isn't going to be for me, you know, whereas, you know, if they hadn't heard this, they may not realize everything that does go into it and, and all of the pitfalls that are there. I know we're probably running on time here. Can I add one more thing there? Actually, yeah, definitely. Uh, the other thing is you got to get into business of like business itself okay. has got to become an interest of yours. And that's something I also kind of see a lot is, really talented woodworkers and have some other areas they're really talented at. But the one thing you can just see, they just have no business sense. And mm -hmm. I definitely was one of those still in learning, but that's something I've really taken actively to of like, you know, anytime I'm in the shop standing, I'm listening to different business books, business podcasts, just trying to get myself familiar with the ideas, the thoughts that are out there. And those have really helped, you know, as, as you start to apply little things. Um, Cause the moment you start to try to make money at this, whether it's one piece or full-time thing, mm -hmm. business principles now apply. Okay. And in order for it not just be a frustrating venture, uh, I, I think it's a value, you know, especially for someone like myself where that did not come naturally. Uh, any, anything related to business that, that was on, not on my radar. So I definitely had a lot to learn. Um, but I, I think that's something that people should really spend almost equal amount of time focusing on if they want to do it uh, professionally. Okay. Um, and the one other thing would just be you can't be afraid to charge for your work. Yeah, that's And then maybe that's something that at one point it might have been a conversation about justice that you guys had. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's I think you guys talked about it, though. I mean, it's, you know, but there could be a question of what is a just price. Um, and that's really tough when, when you get into trying, especially when you're this becomes your full time thing. Like, it's really expensive for yeah. custom furniture ends up being ridiculously expensive and it can be make you choke a little bit sometimes when you kind of <laughs> add up the amount of time. But I think, and especially when you think, well, is this a just price? It's just a table. But I think, and then you have to realize custom furniture, when you're dealing with other places that people could go and buy a table, you know, you're dealing with these giant shops that are fully automated. Right. This just is a completely impractical thing that they're doing in the first place of wanting one guy to make them a table. <laughs> That's so it just cannot be compared in the same sense. Sure. And then I think you just have to look at, you know, well, what do people make doing other things? You know, uh, what does an average lawyer, doctor, or anything, or even jobs below that, you know, make? And then try to consider that and translate that into what do you, you know, what do you make for three or four days worth of work? Well, if I spend two or three days on a project, that those numbers should look similar. Mm -hmm. And I think people just have it in their mind that, you know, spending more than $500 on something is kind of crazy. And like, well, I'm that, that doesn't actually buy you a lot right. when it comes to custom furniture, because you know, how long does it take you to make $500? It's your job. And they're just, I don't know. There's just something about the, the justice conversation with just price that I think can, can easily turn into, uh, 
people, you know, selling themselves incredibly short. Sure. And basically trying to have themselves compete with Walmart. <laughs> right. Well, and it's important to keep in mind that one of the things that you're buying when you buy custom furniture is a whole lot more um, structural integrity, attention to detail, better quality materials, better construction. Like, you know, when you buy a custom piece of furniture, it should not be with the thought that, oh, in a couple of years, if you get tired of it, you're going to replace it. You know, like it's easier to justify the amount when you consider, oh, I'm buying something that I'm going to have for the rest of my life and I'm going to use every day, you know, in the instance of a dining table or a bed or something like that. Um, And I think it, it, when you think about it that way and you make a concerted effort not to sell yourself short, it becomes a little bit easier to stomach the price, but you're right. I'm, I'm sure that's very intimidating to start out with. Yeah. But it, it, and it's, that's a whole growth process in itself. And one that, um, what I found interesting at a certain point, I raised my prices to a point I was really uncomfortable with, honestly. Okay. And it was, but it was a purposeful experiment of, you know, I wanted to see, well, you know, will I just stop getting business or will this actually start gaining me customers that are just better to work for? Mm-hmm. And it oddly was the that. It was like I raised it to a point that was like, well, this would actually make it a lot easier for me to, you know, really get into this project, you know, really, I think, give people what they want. And by, you know, adding in the artistic side a little more and not be so worried about the overhead and not sort of the time involved. Right. And when I did that, then it's like, there is a category of people that is willing to pay for it. And you know what? Those people actually see the value in this type of work okay, and can afford it. And it just basically jumped to a whole new clientele. Whereas before at a different price range, I was dealing with people that it was like, ah, this is really expensive. And we're sort of angry about having to pay this much, but we want it anyway. And so those people are really picky. <laughs> and wow. Other people yeah. looking for looking for anything that's wrong to get a discount, looking for really beat okay. you up. Yeah. You know, shipping. Oh, you're going to charge me for shipping too. And just all these conversations <laughs> that just like, man, I don't know if I can continue this. And so that's something I've also seen a little bit of you know, people kind of on Instagram complaining about customers. It's like, ah, that might be a sign, not necessarily, not across the board. Sure. You know, it could be something you're doing. But it's an interesting, it was an interesting experiment for me of like, maybe try raising your price. Of all things, that sounds like the wrong thing to do. Wow. But it's going to ha- affect two things it's going to knock out a certain category of customer. And it's going to make it more worth it for you. And when it's more worth it for you, you're going to do better work. Right. And so that's just something. It seems a little counterintuitive, but for me, it was a, whoa, man, it just changed the whole course of things. Yeah, that's fascinating. So. Wow. For what it's worth. See, no, this is great. This is exactly one of the reasons why we wanted to get to talk to you is that those those insights we would not have gotten from just you know, fellow hobbyists and things like that. So that's, that's really good stuff for us to think about. So thank you. (laughs) Um, Well, we, we should start wrapping this up. So um, do you have anything that you'd like to promote or any, anything that you'd like to say to our listeners? Uh, Promote? No, not really. Okay. Um, (laughs) Definitely. I mean, uh, I'm just just one of one of you guys, just trying to you know do some woodwork, do some beautiful stuff. Um, so I always love hearing from people, though. I mean, that's been one thing that's been great about the Instagram community is people kind of taking it beyond the just simple, "Hey, I like this, I like that." Right. <laughs> they actually be like, "Hey, I'm so and so." 
Um, you know, and I've had a couple phone calls with some guys recently and that, and that's been just really awesome to like actually have this be a really a way of actually connecting people. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Not just this fake internet world. Um, <laughs> so I guess I'd just say that one thing, just always feel free to, you know, chat out and maybe we can chat, um, anyone out there. You know, I, I love talking about woodworking. I'm willing to offer any advice I might have. Um, other than that, uh, yeah, no, I can't really think of anything else. No, that's great. Um, so where can people find you online? Uh, Instagram, Facebook. Um, I also got a half-finished website because <laughs> uh, I'm too busy doing other stuff. Sure. Um, but CoreyMorganWoodworks.com. I do have a website there that hopefully very soon I will get that finally done. But it's just slow, slow progress. <laughs> uh, awesome. Yeah, no, I know the struggle. Uh, <laughs> Great. Well, well, and we'll be sure to put uh, links to all of that on um, the in the show notes uh, for the post for this episode. Um, so uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us and and uh, give an interview for our listeners, and uh, I'm sure they'll appreciate it as well. Um, <clears throat> so. Uh, uh, yeah, I guess we'll just go ahead and wrap it up. Um, if you have okay. any questions for, for Corey or for us, feel free to get in contact with us. And uh, we hope to see you very soon for episode eight, on which uh, we will have a guest host, which will be a first for the podcast. So uh, oh, cool. stay tuned. And as always, stay virtuous. <laughs>